and so are you because you're listening to episode three of season three of the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. And today we strive all the time to bring you amazing guests. And today you are about to listen to a good friend of mine, Jay Hernandez, the assistant coach of the Charlotte Hornets. I've known him for probably 10 or 12 years. Now, let me remind you, we recorded this podcast before the NBA bubble. So I think it was maybe, I don't know, July, maybe June, probably June, where we actually recorded this, sat down, had a conversation. So you're going to hear thoughts and different things that were happening before the NBA bubble. So those are things I want you to keep in mind. But Jay is such an entrepreneur, an assistant coach, a go-getter, a family man, a dad. I mean, he is just an amazing person. I want you to sit back, enjoy all the nuggets he's about to drop because you will be amazed. Guys, before we get started, I want to talk to you about the power of gratitude. It is the missing superpower when it comes to our players, our coaches, our family members, everyone. You know, so I encourage you to head over to HernandoPlanels.com. We've put together a great 30-day gratitude journal called the High Performing Gratitude Journal. It's designed for your athletes, for your coaches, for your people to increase performance each and every day. You are going to unleash the power of gratitude and you will reach levels in your life that you can't even imagine. So head over to the website, HernandoPlanels.com. Hope you pick it up and I'll talk to you soon. Guys, thanks so much for coming and showing up and listening to another edition of the Be Contagious Leadership Experience. I've got another great guest. And I know what you're saying. H, you have great guests all the time. Yes, but today is even better because today we've got a longtime friend of mine. We'll go through our stories and everything else, but um, he is currently the assistant coach over for the Charlotte Hornets. Jay Hernandez graces us with his presence, man. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on. Uh, this has uh, been great to, to see you do this and, and now to be a part of it. I, I feel really blessed. I appreciate it. Well, Jay, you know, it's one of those things, right? So you do a podcast and then you think of all these guests you want to get and then you kind of forget like, wait a second, I have friends who are badasses and why haven't I got them on? And then I was like, shoot, I got I to gotta email Jay. So so we, we got it and everything else. But for the people who don't know who you are, if you don't mind, give us the elevator speech of yeah. who you are and what you do. Well, right now I'm currently an assistant uh, for the Charlotte Hornets in my sixth year in the NBA. Um, you know, I had my own, my own private business for 10 years called Pro Hoops in New York, in Long Island, New York, uh, which I really love doing. And, um, you know, I had, had a stint uh, throughout my years playing in Puerto Rico for a few seasons and I uh, got to play for a legendary head coach in Jay Wright at Hofstra University. Right. And I uh, went to a couple tournaments with him. He's now Villanova. And, uh, you know, just grew around the game, you know, for, for a long time. It's, it's been my passion for a long time. And, um, you know, realized uh, very early in my life that uh, I wanted to help improve other people's lives, you know, through the game of basketball. And, uh, you know, I guess we'll, we'll get into the background a little bit more. But I was, you know, thinking all about being a, a very successful corporate businessman. You right. know, I, have, I have a dual MBA in marketing and management. And I, I figured being an athlete with that, give me a leg up on a lot of the competition. And, you know, that was my mindset, you know, being a father at a young age and being married to my high school sweetheart, I was, you know, concerned with how I was going to provide for our family and, um, you know, the best ways that I could do that. And uh, yeah, this has been a long journey. It's been a fun journey. And uh, now being an MBA, it's just, you know, every, all of the experiences that I've had have really helped me in a lot of ways uh, relate to these players and connect to these players on a deeper level. Well, that's one of the things I've always admired about you, even before I even met you, you know, the, the entrepreneur mindset, the family mindset, the basketball development mindset and the coaching mindset, like you've really brought it all together in, into what you're doing now. Let's kind of break down really more on the entrepreneurship. Yeah. You said you have a dual uh, master's MBA and you started your own training company. Walk us through that and how you built that. Yeah. You know, uh, being in New York, obviously basketball is, is, is top notch there. And, uh, there's a lot of confidence that goes with being a basketball player in New York. And, uh, my father was the first, I guess you could say trainer in the, uh, you know, Nassau County area where they had a three core facility at that time, which was a huge deal, you know, for AAU tournaments and things. And on the side baskets, he started working with kids that uh, weren't very coordinated, weren't very good at that point in time, younger kids, 
Um, and the parents understood the, the dynamic of training. They understood that, hey, we pay for tennis lessons or we pay for a pitching coach. You know, this makes sense. My kid needs to learn how to shoot or, or dribble the basketball. You know, we'll, we'll pay for, you know, somebody to work with them. And my father played 13 years in Puerto Rico, was on the Puerto Rican national team. Um, you know, just a great player and a great teacher. So uh, he did a great job. And I would come in. This is back in 1998. We'd come in and start working with some of the players that he had and play one-on-one -on -one and just showcase some, some things that I had been learning in college. And eventually there were days that he couldn't make it because he had to work and I would take over and run it my way. And I fell in love with the process. Uh, so I was still playing college, but you know, at that point in time I was training and it was, it was a great experience. And then, you know, as I got out of uh, college, my, my first instinct was, all right, again, we talked about how am I, how am I going to make money? And I got a, a great job opportunity with Hofstra in admissions. And uh, I had the title of Director of Strategic Planning, which is a, a great word for, yeah, I don't know what that meant, but I was, I was down. I was like, I had an office and, uh, you know, I had to do some things for the president. It was pretty cool. Um, but I did that for like eight or nine months. And there was a former uh, Hofstra player that came to me and said his wife was a district manager in pharmaceutical sales. And I had never even heard of pharmaceutical sales at that time. And uh, he said, they look for athletes. They look for, they look for ex-military. You know, I think you'd be a great fit. And he was just feeding me all like the interview questions and things like that, because <laughs> I was not ready for, uh, I had like four interviews. I had a ride along interview, you know, and then I had to go to New Jersey and meet with somebody. We talked for three hours. Uh, it was, it was intense. And uh, I was going up against a lot of other people that were in the sales industry and had pretty good experiences, but, you know, I had a leg up with the inside, you know, trading that I was getting and, uh, <laughs> You know, I just figured that, hey, I can I can I can do this. And I got the opportunity to do it. And it was great because at that point in time, you know, I was getting a car. I had a gas card benefits, a nice base salary uh, bonus structure. You know, I got rookie of the year in the eastern region. You know, so I was I was doing pretty well with it. And uh, two years in, I realized, hey, this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life. You know, I right. felt like I was a glorified just kind of a drop off guy, you know, and I would get the uh, the signatures for the for the pharmaceuticals that I leave behind. And in New York, it was easy. I could. I get 20 signatures from like two buildings and I'd be done within an hour, <laughs> hour and a half. You know, and I only needed about uh, 12 or 13 per day. So literally I can go get as many signatures as I wanted. And then I would just go train the rest of the time. And, and that was it. That became my life was training. But the problem was like the summer times would come. I couldn't run the camps the way I wanted to, or pros were in town, or if I needed to travel to go see a pro, I had to worry about, well, is my district manager going to find out this, that, and the third, right? So after two years, I talked to my wife and I said, listen, I know this sounds crazy, but I want to give all this up. Uh, I have an opportunity to go play in Puerto Rico. I had not played in three years. So I went down and started point guard for a, a town called Calle, um, and I played there. Uh, saved enough money with my camps and that to last about six months. And I started pro hoops in 2004 and, uh, and we took off. I mean, just the mindset of all the experiences that I had before that um, led me, you know, in terms of sales, marketing, branding, that my education plus my business experience helped me start this, this foundation in an industry, which there wasn't anything like it in New York. Uh, there were some, mm -hmm. you know, bigger companies out, out, out there like IMG Academy uh, Bunasar impact and, you know, things like that. But, uh, from a standpoint of who I was looking at, there was nobody for me to look at. I was like, all right, this is straight from scratch. So, you know, I had the opportunity to just build it and, you know, bring in trainers that, uh, were people that I had worked with before or played against and, you know, people that I thought personality wise fit, you know, what we wanted to create in our culture. And, uh, it was awesome. It was just so cool to be able to go from the ground level and build it up to a great pre-draft to have major sponsorship deals with Muscle Milk and Under Armour mm -hmm. and, um, you know, do the things that we did as, as, a, as an organization. The, let's backtrack a little bit. Let's talk about that conversation you had with your amazing wife. Like yeah. you just come home and you're like, was this a conversation you had over time? Did you have to muster up the courage to, to have that conversation? Walk us through a little bit, just because there are a lot of people who listen to this podcast who are always in flux. Yeah. They can't make a decision. They want to pivot, but they can't. What was sort of your process and how you approached it? It was, it was a hard, you know, thing to come to. Uh, obviously, uh, the teams in Puerto Rico kept coming for me each year, and I just kept saying no. Uh, a lot of times it's hard to get your money. You know, it's an right. awkward time of year, like April to July, April to August, you know, to just, you know, just go there part time. And then what do you do the rest of the time? So I was still thinking bigger, you know, in terms of my family landscape of how I was going to make guaranteed money. And, um, you know, at that point in time, I had broken it all up. I had, you know, in my mind, like a business plan of like, hey, this is what it is. Uh, I've got two great years for a Johnson & Johnson company. You know, I have some good accolades as a salesperson. 
Um, I don't, I don't see any issues with, with me getting a job. I can, I mm-hmm. feel like I can always get a job, but I won't always be able to create something special in an area that, that, you know, there are no barriers to entry right now. They weren't saturated. The, the gyms weren't saturated with a million trainers trying to get in and that kind of thing. So uh, I looked at it from that standpoint. And, you know, of course I was nervous. She was nervous, but um, you know, I think she felt the energy that I had behind it. Right. She, uh, I had already had a successful training business without it being, officially incorporated, you know, in mm-hmm. terms of like, you know, now I'm going to bring other people with me and, you know, uh, I'm going to have complete ownership of, of everything that happens. And I think that's the difference, you know, for me is like, uh, I wanted to be accountable for it all. And that's the difference for me between responsibility and accountability. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, if something, you know, if I, if, if I, you know, draw up a play for coach right now, I'm responsible for that ATO play. But at the end of the day, if it, if it falls flat on its face in front of a national TV audience, he's the one that's got to take ownership for that, right? <laughs> right. He's the one accountable for it at the end of the day. And that's what happens when you're a business owner. You're accountable for it all. And, and I really wanted that, resp- that that accountability. You know, right, right then I had the responsibility of training players and stuff, but I wasn't worried about, you know, uh, mortgage payments on, you know, or at least, you know, a lease that I had to worry about, uh, my website design, you know, making mm-hmm. sure that our trainers were taken care of and all those kinds of things. So, uh, it was just a really cool experience. She was great. It was not the first time that I dropped a bomb on her and, you know, that'll we'll get into that as well. But uh, I've been fortunate. I think she, you know, out of anybody out there, uh, obviously she has a deep belief in, in who I am as a person and what, what I'm capable of. And I wouldn't be capable of the things that I am without her being in my corner and doing the things that she does for our family. Man, that's awesome. I mean, anytime, and I'm sure, you know, there are tons of conversations, tons of conversations of fear and what if, and all these yeah. things that go with it over time. When you, when you came back, you started the business, what were things that you were thinking marketing wise, um, to push your business to, like you said, it was, it was a blank canvas, but yeah. really be at the top of your game every single time. So when the competition did come up, it was still like, nope, we still got to go with Jay. Yeah, first and foremost, it was, um, you know, the type of people that I was bringing in. So I think it it starts with people. So for me, my first few trainers that I brought in, I had to make sure that they were on the same page as I was uh, in terms of the curriculum, you know, the type of terminology we were going to use and the techniques that we were going to teach. Just like you have in any college program, high Mm -hmm. school or MBA, you know, we had to have that for our training, which was something that wasn't really being thought of at that point in time. You know, people just training and just you just have workouts and that was it, right. you know, but I think when we, we were thinking of it as like, all right, if I get booked up, I've got to be able to push that next player over to my next trainer. And they know that they're getting the same exact pro hoops training, whether it's with mm-hmm. me or with John JB or Michelle. And so, you know, that was the biggest thing for me was, was finding the right people that I knew um, had great positive energy that uh, were about the program, not just, you know, looking to try to, steal some clients and then move on and go do their own thing, you know, which, uh, we never had an issue with, which I was always fortunate, you know, to, to have. And, um, you know, after that, it was, uh, what kind of events and what kind of training we were providing so that if players were getting better, um, that was going to be the selling point for us at that point in time, you know, because, you know, when players get better and as people start asking who, who they're working with, that's the best thing that you can get for a business. You know, it's just like, if you go to right. have a great meal and you say, Hey, this meal was the best Italian I've had in Charlotte. Like, I'm going to go check it out. I'm going to go try it. So that was the biggest thing for me. Um, you know, and then the events that we put on were different. You know, we ended up having events where at that point in time it was legal. Uh, we would have college coaches come in, assistant coaches, and be a part of our training staff during these events. And we would host events that were skills-based events where, you know, they got to work with coaches from Fordham and, you know, Villanova and all these different mm-hmm. places. So we try to just do things at like a, a much higher level um, in regards to the people that we brought in and and then after that i tried everything from you know obviously we, we built a website and we started getting testimonials and doing things like that uh you know i ended up uh you know making sure that our t-shirts at that point in time had our website or number <laughs> on the back you know like old school painting jobs right. you know? like, hey call us 516 <laughs> you know so we had like walking billboards out there so it was just you know all of it i yeah, I've tried tried all the ads i tried some things off of websites and you know at the end of the day you know it came down to being on this court at island garden and just training where people would see us while their kids were playing games. They'd see some of the kids that weren't very good, that they got better each week or the moves that they were doing. Like, wow, that's, that looks pretty good. Like, you know, mm-hmm. what are you guys doing? When I first started, it was two things that happened. It was most of the best players in New York were like, why would I train with you? I'm already nice. That was like, you know, they had that <laughs> off the side of their mouth. I'm nice. I'm not, you know, so yeah. they, they didn't get that aspect of it. And then within a few years that completely changed. And then, you know, I had a bunch of fathers that wanted to fight me because I was literally, 
uh, kicking off their little daughter off the court, you know, like you can't shoot here. We have a private session going on. You know, it was just really like a crazy, crazy world. But, you know, through that, we were able to build something pretty special. The, you know, there's obviously the business side of it, but I really want to touch on the creative side of it because I think um, coaches have the ability to be creative. Business leaders have the ability to be creative, but they end up falling into a silo which over time stunts their growth and creativity. You yeah. haven't obviously in your career. Was there anything that you did or, or, or that you, in your thought process that really expands you when you're thinking of what to do next? Yeah. Um, you know, I always try to figure out like, you know, what, what are things I can do to challenge players? So if, if I had a player that was met with me for three or four years, you know, that, that was the biggest thing was retention rate. You know, it's mm -hmm. how do you retain these players from going on to go train with somebody else when somebody else has something, you know, the next hottest thing, the newest techniques. So I, I was consistently trying to learn how people were training in, in other areas and other sports. Um, obviously, with my sales background, you know, I always say I like to read books on marketing, on, on sales, on counseling and sports psychology, all the right. things that you have to do. <laughs> Uh, in regards to communicating with with players and and helping helping them see themselves at times and persuading them to you know reach their their full potential and, and really buy into what you're trying to give them. So I always felt like I had to improve because my players kept improving, and right. as my players improved, I had to improve. And and that way I was able to retain them so that when they came back from college, you know, and they they were cocky and like, yeah, hey, I can take you now, or you know, like uh, <laughs> I, I figured it all out after one year in college. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, now we take it to the next level. Here we right. go. So. That, that's what always sparked my creativity was I wanted to always challenge my players. And I loved that they loved the challenge. You know, they, they mm -hmm. were like, man, this is awesome. I, you know, I didn't think that there was any more, you know, to this progression. And, um, you know, I think when you're, when you have that mindset, it helps. And by being in the gym all the time, you become like a mad scientist. You know, there was, there was a point in time in my career that I felt like I was putting in more on court hours than anybody in the world. Um, you know, 12 hours straight a day wow. for four or five days straight, uh, with no lunch or dinner break. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it was just incredible because I fed off the energy of every single person that came in and the girl that came from, you know, far Rockaway all the way to Long Island, you know, and wanted that 9 PM workout, my last workout of the night, I, I had to bring it, you know, <laughs> right. like I had to bring it just like it was an, an all-star NBA all-star coming for that last session, you know, even if I was tired or hungry uh, because they were expecting the best, you know, and I, I think that's, um, that that's really helped me out, you know, as I got to the NBA and now I'm only working with three or four guys, you know, they, right. they get maybe too much of my energy at this point. Cause it's, uh, you know, there's, there's only a few people that I, that I get to, to relate to now, but um, yeah, I think that was, that was the biggest thing for me. Talk about your drive and determination, right? Obviously it takes, you know, I hear a lot of, there's a lot of coach, a lot of great speakers who talk about, you know, you just got to have the drive, but what does that drive look like? What is your motivation um, and where do you get your inspiration from? Cause I think if we go more at a micro level, then yeah. people start understanding and start looking for it inside of themselves. Yeah. Uh, for me, the drive is to be the best. Uh, you know, I, I definitely, uh, I've always had that. I've always had a chip on my shoulder as a player where I wasn't the most athletic and, um, you know, not being able to, you know, to, to dunk the basketball and things like that. I've, I had scholarships that were potentially pulled from me, you know, where people, mm. I passed the eye test and I was, I was killing in an AAU tournament and, and the assistant or the head coach would be like, can you, can you dunk? Can he dunk? And that was the question that they were asking. I was like, what, like, what does that have to do with anything? Did you just see me drop right. 35 and, you know, and so, um, I always, you know, I always took things, you know, from that, that grain of salt. I was like, I have to be the hardest worker. Um, I had a deep appreciation, um, at a very young age for being able to play the game because I had, uh, over 10 major operations on my right ear. And, uh, you know, to this day, you know, I've, I've lost most of my hearing on my right side. Um, mm. you know, I had a major tumor that crushed all the bones and I'd be playing games with major ear infections and major games, uh, NIT tournament, all that kind of stuff with an ear infection was affecting my equilibrium while I was playing. And, uh, so I was dealing with all of that. And I, I remember at that time, you know, I'd, I'd be out for three months after every surgery where I couldn't run, jump or swim. And I saw kids that were in there longer than I was that were on IV. And I, I was thinking to myself, like, when I get out, I'm having an opportunity to actually compete again. So every time I competed, it was like at the highest and hardest, you know, level that, that I could think of. So, you know, being a not a great athlete, I, I don't take myself as the smartest person either. Uh, I feel like you have to work harder. Um, I think I feel like you have to be um, a nine or a 10 in a lot of other areas as a people mm -hmm. person, you know, mm -hmm. in, in terms of the way you communicate your leadership for kids that are in high school. It's their grades, you know, their body language. 
you know, all those things. If you falter in any of those areas, I, I promise you, they can find somebody else like you right down the road, you know, the next right. state over or, or, or now internationally, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I think that's where a lot of it comes from. You know, obviously my parents, um, I got a lot from them, you know, entrepreneurs themselves. My dad had a bunch of side businesses that he always did. Um, you know, obviously him playing, you know, being from Canarsie, Brooklyn, it was always about toughness and how hard, how hard you played. My mother uh, started her own counseling uh, service and she's mm-hmm. had that for years. And the big thing was always, uh, you know, eight slices of the pie and, you know, basketball is only one slice, you know, make sure that you, you get the other eight slices and, and you make them what you want. So um, I learned a lot there. And now really for me, the, uh, the motivation is, you know, just getting out there and, you know, putting my best foot forward and, and, you know, being able to show that a guy that came from the private sector can become a head coach in the NBA. Uh, my inspiration is, is my wife and my kids. I mean, just seeing them and how, how awesome they've been with this whole thing and traveling and, and moving to new places and uprooting their lives. You know, I'm inspired by them every day, by the way they handle, you know, all these, right. these, these hardships and things just because their father has a dream to, to become a head coach. Uh I'd say, you know, there's so many different things that, that come with it. I mean, just you talking about your drive and when people are listening, you know, they're thinking inside, like what drives them? And, and you just mentioned about three or four things. You talk about obviously your, your parents and, and all those different things that you're trying to hurdle over from, oh, you can't dunk. I got something with my ear. I mean, all these things. And you've continued to, to go through it. Now, I, I know you and I met um, when we were filming Just Right in yeah. in new york now i knew of you before because that was my job i was kind of like a lurker before there was like tons of social media i would always yeah. try to figure out who were like the great basketball people and we met and just real quickly i know i've told the story to some people before but you ended up being um commons double in the movie just right which by the way i ran into him like at the airport like six months ago oh, and yeah. he looked at me like we were familiar and we took a picture i was like come on let's take a picture but that's besides the point yeah you, you ended up becoming you know the, the double and you helped us with some great players and and you were just i mean even amy mcdaniel and jesse um more who we were all in there together with you like we always talk about you probably because i know y'all t- i like to name drop you all the time <laughs> Jay, but talk about the other side, you know, from our side, we're looking for someone to be a professional and do a great job. What was that experience like when all of a sudden you're like, Hey, I think this is what we're asking you to do, Jay. What do you think? Yeah. Well, one, I wasn't, I wasn't going to come. I think I denied coming down. I think twice, you know, I was like, (laughs) I'm not going to sit in this line with a thousand dudes, you know, and, and, and just get turned back because again, I was putting in like 10, 12 hour days. So it was a big deal for me to to just give up some, some of that money to go do, you know, sit on this thing. And I'm like, so I, I think I, after the first one that you guys had, I got word that there was maybe like 18 or 20 guys. I don't know, something like that. It wasn't a big, big right. showing, but there were, you know, some, some good guys in the gym. And so I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to give it a shot. You know? So I remember going down there and, and uh, you know, walking in and, you know, it was pretty funny. Cause you know, I remember uh, being asked like, you know, can you play? You know, I'm like, yeah, I can play. Yeah. They're like, no, no, can you play? And I'm like, yeah, well, we'll find out, you know, like that kind of thing. So it was just really cool to be there. Obviously, you know, you had already done, you know, choreography and you had a good stranglehold on all the different things and the way the, the plays were going to be set up. So I was just really impressed by the overall organization of it. You know, the fact that guys were really able to hoop and that mm-hmm. that's, they were looking for that, you know, and that it wasn't just actors. They were guys out there that can hoop. And, uh, you know, just to be able to be a small part of, you know, you know, like kind of going through some of those, you know, those plays with you and being like, does this feel authentic? You know, can right. we get, can we get common to do this? You know, when he's, when he comes to the, you know, to the uh, set and uh, you know, having an opportunity to show him some drills and things like that was really a cool experience. And just to see it on the grand scale of the way a movie is made um, you know, I just had such a deep appreciation for everybody behind the scenes. And then obviously all the actors and actresses that were part of it. Now, I tell you, what the greatest part is that I remember when when Common came into the gym, uh, Amy McDaniel, who I just did a podcast with her a couple days ago, they own Game Changing Films. And, we, you know, one of the things is always trying to find a double who can play Common. Because at first, Jay, I think we had you on one of the teams. We had you on one of the NBA teams to play. But then we had to find a double for Common. And a double is someone who, of course, for those who don't know, just someone who plays basketball and could resemble common. So, and I said, Hey, this should be pretty easy. We should, I mean, common light skin brother. We could find someone in New York who play basketball. Yeah. We walks into the gym and I'm standing next to Amy. And I said, Amy, we have a problem. She's like, what? I said, look at common. She said, yeah. What about him? I said, 
and I do cuss on this podcast, so I apologize. I said, he's not fucking light-skinned. He's motherfucking gold. The dude is gold. Where are we going to find a basketball yeah. player who's gold? And and uh, and then we're thinking about it, and then Jay, we, we figure, like, you know what? Jay can do it. And we invited Jay, and, and it was great, man. And then ever since then, now you've done some TV stuff. I know you did stuff with Under Armour. I know yeah. it was Kemba Walker. Talk about that a little bit, because I know, you know, those are some great stories, because you worked with Kemba for years. Hey, uh, before I get to that, let me show, can you see this? Yeah. <laughs> that, yes. That's the picture right there, right? So just think, I, I ended up oiling up a little bit, going to the beach. That was my main <laughs> job. Was the, <laughs> the first question I got, I, I remember going to a brownstone in Brooklyn, I believe, you know, to go meet with the director. And I had to take my shirt off, you know, at that point in time, <laughs> I was in shape. And they were like, yeah, he's got the lanky, like, do you go red or do you go dark? That was the first question I got, too. It was like, well... <laughs> No, I'm half Puerto Rican. I, I, I can darken up a little bit. So like, all right, we'll give this guy a shot. So that was, that was epic. Um, but then, uh, yeah, since then I had an opportunity to, um, you know, cast, you know, uh, basketball players for different things. You know, yeah. so I was able to do that for Under Armour, uh, bring some players down for some of their commercials. Um, I did one for Google as well. Um, so that was, that was a cool experience. Um, also, uh, uh what is it? Uh, I think it's Brooklyn. Brooklyn Taxi uh, was another show that came okay. out, uh, which I was able to choreograph a scene and, and be a part of that. So, you know, I got to, you know, put on my Hernando hat for a few, few <laughs> sessions. Uh, and um, it was cool. Like the Under Armour thing was great because the Under Armour people came in to see Kemba work out. And right. we were doing some unique things, some unique drills. Um, at the time, you know, I was doing, and I still do the hurdle handles where you throw the ball underneath a 12 inch hurdle, uh, to work on your ball handling skills. And it was like, what are you guys doing? You know, what is that? And I was doing behind the backs through this little hurdle and all this stuff. And, you know, so we're working on that and they saw something else that we did and they're like, man, that visually that, that might be pretty cool for a commercial. And, uh, so I ended up doing a couple of these, these commercials with Kemba. And I remember thinking to myself, like, I'm going to be on this commercial. Like I'm getting in this thing. You know? <laughs> I'm so getting started, on this commercial. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm doing drills with him. They like, it's partner <laughs> drills that we're known for. Like we're going to do this together, you know? And then we did some uh, resistance bands and, you know, I was hitting him with the mitts and it, there was some really cool stuff. And as you know, I ended up speaking. He's like, you ready, Jay? I said, I'm ready. And so just for saying I'm ready, I ended up getting residuals. It was a really <laughs> cool experience. So I wish I could do more commercials, but um, you know, it was, it was really cool just to be able to figure out like what's going to pop. Right. You know, on screen, you know, uh, what 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 are the you know, the people buying or the, the consumer going to like about this? What are authentic basketball people going to appreciate about these things? Mm -hmm. And, you know, just being able to do that and again, tap into the creative side is huge. I, I just think so many people are lacking, you know, the imagination, imagery and creativity in whatever they're doing. You know, I just think it, it helps you with with keeping things fresh and it also helps you with problem prediction and problem solving skills that that a lot of people don't have because they, they can't envision another Avenue or something else that they can go to. Right. They're, they, they see the one road yeah. and then that's all, all they're going through. The, you talked a little bit about Kemba. I know you worked with him for a while, a long time, actually. Yeah. Um, are there differences when you work with uh, guys in the NBA or professionals in college and high school? Yeah, they're, they're at different stages, right? So there are definitely differences in terms of, um, you know, what they're going after. Um, but the principles all stay the same, you know, in terms of, you know, how, how we want to get after things, um, you know, not being afraid to make mistakes. You know, that's one of the big things I always say is make it ugly, you know, because too many people try to look pretty in training sessions. They want to look right. perfect. Uh, pros definitely don't want to look stupid when they're training in front of other people, right. Cause they're pros. Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing is to, to break down that barrier of like, if you're not making a mistake, there's something wrong here. Like either you're not working hard enough, or I'm not challenging you. And neither one of those things is good. And so I think it's important to, you know, take that on and say, Hey, we're, we're going to fail all the way to success, you know, because if you're, you're losing the ball, that means you're going as hard as you can. And then eventually right. if we're doing this and we're overloading the handles and we're doing that 10 times in a row and you lose it on seven, who cares? Because you only have to get it done right once in a game. That's it. So uh, I think, you know, all the principles stay the same. Obviously, you know, you're dealing with million dollar assets at the pro level. Um, so you know, we have to figure out the best ways to train them and, you know, not, not overtrain them. And, you know, you think about diminishing returns on certain things and, 
you know, how much time you get with them. So, you know, we, you know, now I have a lot more at my disposal with analytics and film, mm-hmm. um, sports scientists and you right. know, load management and all these <laughs> other things that I never had on a one-on-one basis with high school kids, you know, and, and obviously in college, you know, they're with their team a majority of the time. So when they come back to you, you, you get them for a few weeks and you get to, you know, impart some knowledge and some wisdom on them. But, um, you know, I think it's the, the access you have to players, you know, usually it's like once a week in high school because they've got other stuff going on and they're, they're paying, uh, college, they come in usually every day for a few weeks and then you don't see them again, you know, for a while back with their team. And then NBA, we have them damn near all year long. And, you know, within that we have 82 games and we have to figure out the best way to manage the time we have together. (laughs) <laughs> that's where the creativity comes in. Yeah. You know, yeah. To do it now. All right. So you did all the, uh, that you had your training session with, with Kemba. And then I remember because all of a sudden I follow you on social media and then all of a sudden I see you like drop so much weight and now you're fighting in a ring. Yeah. Yeah. What <laughs> was that? Yeah. Well, I know, I, you know, the best thing about it is I'm probably the most non-confrontational person you'll meet. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> I do not like to fight. Let's just put it that way. It's I ended up doing three fights. And so it sounds weird to people because they're like, this guy's crazy. He must have something that he wants to hurt people. And (laughs) it's the furthest thing from the truth. Um, I, you know, I had, I had always uh, loved fighting in terms of uh, watching boxing, you know, high end boxing matches when the UFC came out. I love watching UFC fights on VHS tapes and um, you know, all that. So I always appreciated it. Uh, I never did it because obviously I was afraid of getting hurt, you know, and then right. when I was going back to Puerto Rico to play, I did, I, I said, why don't I try some kickboxing cross train a little bit? So I did that, you know, with the guy, Keith Tremble, who now is a host of UFC fighters and champions that are out there uh, in Long Island, uh, Belmore kickboxing. And I did that with him. And then when I came back, um, I just had the itch. I knew I wasn't playing anymore. I stopped playing at a very young age to start my business and training. I was very much in my prime, you know, when I stopped playing. And so I had this competitive fire. I'm like, man, I want to do something. So I ended up uh, really falling in love with uh, Anderson Silva and his fighting style. He was a Muay Thai specialist that was dominating the UFC. Just so good, so tough, so skilled. And I said, what does he do? And they, they kept saying he was Muay Thai, Muay Thai. And I, I was like, I didn't know what Muay Thai was. I came to find out that it's the art of eight limbs. You can use your elbows, your knees, you can <laughs> kick and you can punch. Um, so it's pretty, pretty badass. I mean, it's, it's tough. So I found a gym, uh, called extreme and it turned into militia fight Academy. And I started going there. And within the first two weeks, they put me in a sparring match with a guy that had a fight coming up. And this guy was a beast. He was like, like a little Mike Tyson esque, like five, nine, five, eight, just rock solid. And they said, Oh, he's fighting a long lanky guy like you, like and you're six foot is tall in these, in these fights. So they put me in with him, and within the first 30 seconds, I don't know how to block kicks. So he kicks my leg, kicks my leg. So eventually I just drop my hands, and he throws a hook to my face. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm, like, almost blacked out on my feet. Like, I'm, right. everything turns to black. I laugh around. <laughs> now my trainer on the side is going, you have to fight him. Punch him, you know, like the whole thing. So I go back out. I, ma- I match the last round without getting knocked out. And the guy's like, man, that was, that was good. I'm, you know, you did pretty good because I knocked out my last three guys and, you know, uh, master's mad at me. You know, I start laughing. I'm like, this is nuts. So I said, either I got to ask for my money back or I got to learn how to do this properly. So <laughs> for like the next like six months, I just focused on defense. I was, I was quick enough to see things, you know, I had like, I had the reflexes. I just didn't know right. how to do things technically the right way. So I got pretty good at it. Then eventually I got to really sparring guys more technically, not, not having a brawl. And uh, eventually I got to a point where I was at my heaviest and uh, I wasn't happy with where I was. And I said, you know what, if I tell them I'm ready to fight, there's no going back. I'm, right. I'm, I'm going to drop weight. I'm going to be in the best shape of my life. And I'm, I'm going to do this for real. Uh, and one thing I always talk to my players is like, don't have false success. You know, it's like, if, if I'm not giving you my best and we're not challenging you and you're out here making shots half, half speed, that's false success. And you're going to go in a game and get rocked, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was the same thing for me. It's like, I wanted to know if I was for real, like, after two or three years, do I really know how to fight or am I just somebody who hits the heavy bag and, and grunts really loud and scares people in the gym? But, you know, when it comes down to it, I'm, I'm not, I'm not that dude. So I ended up losing 40 pounds. Wow. 40 pounds. Uh, the last like eight to 10, I had to suck water weight and that kind of thing. But there was a 40 pound weight cut uh, for me after about three <laughs> months. And I got back in, I got in there. I did it in the, in the Bronx, you know, had a, had a fight TKO Next year, I did another one, TKO, um, and then uh, I fought at World Resorts Casino, uh, which was a big deal for me. 
because there was no no gear, there was no shin guards, no headgear, and uh, right. you know, kicks were going bone to bone and all that kind of stuff. And uh, ended up winning that one by unanimous decision, and then I retired. <laughs> that was <laughs> that was it. But On I tell you top. what, what 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 it's done for me, I learned a lot about myself throughout that process. You know, where it's like you know I put myself through through hell. You know, in terms right. of training, my body, the abuse I was taking. Um, so if I, I know if I could do it at that stage of my life, you know, um, in my thirties that, you know, my players at, at 20 can do, you know, half of what I do <laughs> and, you know, still do it at a high level. And, you know, I, I managed to keep my composure when I got hit or kicked, I didn't get angry. You know, I stayed ah. calm in the moment. And, uh, within that moment, I was trying to figure out technically, like, how did they get me with that shot? You know, what do I need to do next time? Uh, Jameer Nelson, who I had a chance to work with for a summer said he started taking boxing with sparring because he had an anger management issue. And mm -hmm. when you get hit in the face, there's nothing worse than that, right? Like that's right. going to get you super angry. And he realized that if he got angry against a real boxer and he started swinging wildly, he was going to get knocked out, that he had right. to keep his composure. Uh, so to this day, that's one, that along with me being Common's body double with the young guys that I have, are two <laughs> of the things that get talked about the most. You know, they don't care like who I trained or the things that I right. did. They want to know about, you know, being there with Queen Latifah and then Common and then, and then also like, dude, you fought, like, you know, how was it? Is there film? And so, uh, you know, it's, it's funny to see how that excites people even to this day. Yeah. No, what I love is, is the same thing. Like you just continue to like adapt and evolved and recreate and pivot. I mean, all those things. And I love that you take all the lessons from it and apply it to what you're doing now and thinking about how that's going to apply for you later on with it. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's a huge, huge part of it. Well, I would say this is like six questions, you know, for me, it's like, um, you know, what are two things you've done in your past that are helping you now? So it's mm -hmm. a, a, a way to reflect and be like, I, I wasn't thinking about it at that time, but that experience, you know, helped me now, you know, and that gets you thinking, okay, where do I want to go and be two years or three years from now? What are two things that I need to be doing now that could potentially help me, you know, at that next stage of my career, you know, and then mm -hmm. if you want to be a leader and you want to be a great coach, you always think about how are you helping two people now in something that they, you know, they want to do, you know, for the rest of their life or, you know, how can you help them? What, you know, what are two things that you're doing right now to help somebody else? And I think that's something that, um, you know, I try to always look at, you know, reflect, right. you know, basically direct, you know, my, my attention to certain things that will help me in the future. And then as a leader, as a coach, I've got to figure out, all right, how am I doing this also for, for other people? You know, what are two mm -hmm. things that I can do for somebody else today to help them? Yeah, those are great things as you project on what you want to eventually do. Speaking of that, was the NBA a goal of yours? And when did that transition happen and how did it happen? Yeah, so it was never a goal of mine. I never wanted to be a coach. Um, you know, it was, uh, I loved helping people improve. I loved the relationships I was building. Um, I still am very much entrepreneurial in, in the way I think and the way I approach things. And so um, I just love business. So I, I, I was never really looking to coach. I like the, the I like the gravy aspect of helping people improve and not have to worry about playing time and you know all the other <laughs> things that, that that coaches get ridiculed for. And um, Jay Wright was the one who got me into thinking about it. Um, you know, he brought me on campus and he had saw a lot of the players that I had been working with that were young, that were uh, guys that he competed against that were becoming lottery picks, first and second rounders, and uh, was getting word from a lot of his former players and things like, you know, your guy Jay is doing a phenomenal job. He's hosting this, this event with all these agents and this and that. So he started inquiring about two years prior. And then eventually he's like, Hey, I think I'm gonna have an opening. You know, would you be interested? Come on down and sit and talk to me. And, and we talked and he's like, Hey, you're further along than I thought you'd be, you know, from a standpoint of your connections with some of the, uh, you know, the, the people that are out there in the AAU world and, you know, understanding the sneaker companies and all those mm -hmm. kinds of things. And, uh, he offered me a position uh, as an assistant coach and, you know, gave me a few days to make a decision. And at that point in time, you know, I had no exit strategy. Um, my wife was going for her tenureship and in, in, in teaching in New York, which is really hard to come by. And, um, you know, again, I, I just didn't think it was fair to say, OK, we're, all, we're moving, you know, and I've got to do this within the next two weeks. I've got to move and start you know, recruiting and doing all those kinds of things. And you guys are going to come with me. Um, and also with my trainers, I didn't want to leave them behind. And I just, I just had no, I had no thoughts of being a coach right. and it just threw me off. So I, I respectfully said, no, and I said, coach, I, I can't do it. I have too many people relying on me. Um, and I hope you respect that, you know, and, um, I just never want to leave anybody behind without giving them the opportunity to stand on their own two feet. And so 
uh, he, he, two things that resonated with me at that point in time, which were really prophetic on his part was, you know, within a year or two from now, you're going to be in the NBA. He told me, and I was like, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, what are you talking about? Like, why, <laughs> you know, what, what, what's making you say this? Because I'm not even, I'm not putting resumes out there. I'm not going to NBA summer league. I'm not doing any of that. The other thing that he said was I want to win a title here at Villanova, which again, I thought he was crazy. I was like, right. You know, again, he was like, I'm, I'm going to win the old fashioned way. Like we used to get guys in here that were top 50 recruits, but they weren't our players, our style of player. Mm-hmm. You know, we had success. And then we just started taking kids because they were top 50 and I never even saw them play. You know, and so now we're going after guys that, you know, I've seen play that I know they're about Villanova and the way we do things. And I want to win a title here. I'm like, all right, good luck with that. You know, because, you know, <laughs> all you ever knew at that point in time were, were teams that were winning that had probably like two projected first rounders at least. Right. You know, that were winning the title, right? They had at least one lottery pick and then another guy was like a late first rounder or whatever. So, you know, it was just amazing to see like both those things happen. And because of that, my mind started working as what would be my exit strategy? How would I make mm. sure my trainers were set up when I left? Things like that. And, um, you know, eventually what happened was Jock Vaughn came saw some of the work that I was doing uh, with Tobias Harris. Um, one of the assistants on the staff was my assistant in college. So um, he had already spoke highly of, of me, but not in terms of getting a job. It was just strictly Jock Vaughn, you know, hearing things. And then with the lottery picks that I was working, that I was working out, were working out for them in pre-draft. And he kept asking, where are you guys working out? Oh, we're in Long Island Pro Hoops with Jay Hernandez. So I think at that point in time, he was like, okay, we need somebody in here with our young group. At that point in time, it was going to be Aaron Gordon, Alfred Payton, uh, Nick Vucevic, Fournier, uh, Victor Oladipo. Wow, yeah. Uh, you know, just to name a few. And they were you, all super, super young, super talented. Um, and, you know, obviously Tobias Harris, I had already a relationship with. So he's like, hey, we want you to come in and help us with, with this development of these guys. Um, and the cool thing about him was that he gave me the whole summer to – again, exit properly to make sure my mm-hmm. camps and clinics were, were finished up. And, uh, I know me personally, if I'm hiring somebody today, I'm like, can you get here tomorrow? You know, right. like, we got work to do. Um, but it's so rare. Like I tell people how rare, <laughs> like my yeah. journey in, because I wasn't seeking it, you know? And I, I always say like, if you're great at what you do, you can expand your box or outgrow it, you know? Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think that, you know, I was trying to you know master my level before I can go on and, and try to be a, a beginner at another level. And, that's what happened. I basically skipped every single level of coaching, high school, AAU, college, JUCO, whatever, you name it, uh, G League, to get to the NBA. And, and, you know, I got thrown into the fire. Well, I tell you, you know, the one thing that I've always noticed about you is every time we spoke on the phone, and guys, people are listening, it was probably like twice a year, I would say, right? Texts or, or colleges. Yeah. I know you're busy. All of a sudden, you're like, oh, shoot, I haven't talked to Jay in like six months. But every time I spoke to you, it was always a, well, you know, I'm just trying to get from learning this scout. I'm learning how to do this. And I'm behind the bench. I won't be in front of the bench. Like everything was always growth mindset, always learning, right? That was, that's a huge part of you. It is, you know, I think, um, I think it keeps everything fresh. I think uh, the the more you're willing to learn, um, you know, I I knew right away, I didn't have the answers and I, I, I'm, I'm big on being authentic. You know, you have to be a genuine you at all times. And I think Mm -hmm. that carries over. And I think by, by not, pretending I had the answers. And the first thing I tried to do within the first two weeks was ask an engaging question in one of our team meetings to get the rest of the mm. group talking. And that, that can show as much intellect as having an answer. A lot of times, you know, it's just having an engaging question. So that was my big thing. And I knew I had to catch up. And, and that's part of, uh, part of my growth mindset is my competitiveness because I don't want people to have an edge on me in, in, in any area, you know, so right. somebody is way better than me in certain, certain things, or they know things that I don't. And, and we're, in the same position, then I'm going to try to figure that out myself as well. So I think that comes down to a lot of it is, uh, you know, the, the growth to learn keeps things fresh. And because I'm competitive, I want to learn so I can get the advantage, you know, to, to get to the next level or, or become a better coach for my players and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think that uh, that's a big part of, you know, people who are successful over the course of time. Uh, that's a big part of that because I think at the NBA level, players tend to not care what you did in your past. I always say, if you mm-hmm. are living in your past, you're dead to the present, you know, because too many people, you know, try to say like, well, I work with so-and-so and so-and-so. Well, that's great. You might've worked with Mike Tyson in his prime, but now, you know, wh- what can you do to help me? Because if you're sitting on the side with your phone and you're saying, Hey, go hit the heavy bag, go hit the jump rope. 
And then you're on right. the phone or whatever, but you're not like in there with the mitts and really helping me and showing me techniques like you did back then. Then I got to find somebody else who's hungry that 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 is about what we're doing today. And you know, I think with the way technology is going and the way you know the game is evolving and and how young these players are, you've got to figure out ways to not only you know relate to them, which is basketball improvement and, and competition, but connect with them. You know, in terms of you know who they are as people and you know what drives them and and who hang who who they're hanging with, who they listen to, all those kinds of things. I think is really really important. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, and we're going to hit on the, the last thing I really want to hit on, but you talked about creativity, growth mindset, and now adaptability is this last one. And I yeah. think it's so important because what six years in the league, is it four head coaches you work for or three? Yeah. Yeah. I got, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're overall four um, different coaches. And um, you know, I, again, year one, again, I, <laughs> I can't express, you know, how many times there's been three times in my adult life with a family where I've taken major pay cuts in mm -hmm. order to, you know, progress in, in, a, in my field or, you know, to grow. And when I got to the Orlando Magic, I took a major pay cut, you know, from my private business. And so everybody thought I got to the NBA and I was making a million dollars. Like, You made it. Yeah. And so, you know, with the way my business was and everything, you know, I took a major pay cut. I, I came into the NBA without my family because my daughter was a senior in high school. My wife was a tenured teacher at that time. And so my wife was like, hey, you only have a two-year deal, so you better make sure that first year you really like it, you know, and then after that, if it's something you know you're going to go for, then we're, we're going to join you, you know, and we'll come. Mm -hmm. So 52 games in, you know, the, the staff gets fired, and uh, we have a skeleton crew. It, it really happens at the NBA level where the interim coach gets bumped up and they fire all the other bench assistants and the video coordinator. It's just a really – rare thing to have happen. So me and Leron Prophet moved up to the uh, bench with James Borrego, who I'm working for now. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I was like, we have such a skeleton crew here. We're not lasting past all-star break. You know, all-star break was a week away. Right. And, um, you know, I really felt like we weren't lasting. And then we ended up bringing uh, Igor who coached uh, with the Phoenix Suns as a head coach. And uh, Igor came in and helped us out and we finished out that year. And then Scott Skiles got the job. And they retained me, you know, for that next year and said, you know, you'll have a chance. It's like a probationary year. If things go well, you know, you'll be able to, uh, you know, negotiate a new contract and, and maybe match up years with Scott. And so, you know, early on, you know, with Scott, I was able to build his tr build some trust there, um, you know, show that I was a worker and he, he appreciated my approach. And he doesn't give a lot of compliments and he complimented me twice. Um, you know, two separate <laughs> occasions. And I told my wife at that point in time, after those two compliments, like, you know, let's move, like move the family. Now we don't have to wait till the end of the year. Like I'm good. This guy is going to look after me. And so I finally got the family to move in December it was one of the hardest moves again oh, yeah. uh, for my family at that point, because when they came, we had a trip overseas, you know, and, um, at that point in time, that trip, you know, coincided after a, a 10 day, well, I came back from that trip, was home for a few days, and then went to a 10-day West Coast trip. So they moved out there, and then they had no family, no friends, mm -hmm. and I was gone. So they're like, damn, we could have stayed in New York and not seen you and, you know, uh, been around at least family and friends and some familiarity. Uh, but at that point in time, I was like, things will get better. You know, things will get better. Late April, Scott Skiles quits. You know, a multi-million dollar deal on the table and just decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And at that point in time, my contract was, was up. I had to tell my wife after she gave up her job and, you know, we lost money on my house. So now we're really broke. Like literally, right. you know, going into payday, like negative 300 in the bank account and, you know, still trying to do my best by my players and not knowing what my, what my life was going to look like in a few months. And Frank Vogel came in and said, Hey, if I were you, I'd be looking, you know, mm -hmm. uh, I've heard good things about you, but you know, I don't know what I'm gonna do here kind of thing. So I was two weeks away from not having a paycheck and I just kept working. I just stayed in the moment. That was the biggest thing. I stayed engaged with my players. I told them, Hey, I'm going to be fine. You know, regardless of all this, I've hustled for so many years. Uh, I'm going to be fine. But if you guys ever need anything from me, I'm here for you. And I think they all went to bat for me. Um, you know, uh, he ended up talking to Jay Wright. Again, Jay keeps coming up over and over again. Jay helped him when he got let go by uh, Philadelphia 76ers as a scout and allowed him to come to Villanova and work with the players and do some things then. And, and Jay said, if you can keep him, you know, you, you should, you know, he's going to be great, you know, working with the players, he's going to be loyal. So I ended up, you know, again, in my mind, I'm thinking, how am I ever going to grow in this industry? When every mm -hmm. year I start from scratch again with a new staff, I'm the holdover. I'm basically the scab guy because, you know, everybody's <laughs> so excited 
to come in and impart their, their knowledge on how they're going to take this team to the next level. And I'm the guy who's part of the, the losing team, you know what I mean? And so in my mind, I was like, all right, I've got to be, again, I have to be authentic to myself. I've got to figure out how am I going to adapt to the new terminology, the schemes that they have in place to be able to now sell that new, you know, terminology and scheme and philosophy to the players that have been working with the two previous years, you know, they, where they heard something different each year already mm -hmm. up to that point from me, because I was, you know, doing what the coach was, was telling me to do. Uh, so, you know, being with Frank again, after, after one year with him, he was just like, Hey, you're doing scouts, full scouts. Now you got 25 games. You know, I was like, I was thrown into the fire again, but it was great growth. The year after that, David Adam moves on to Denver and I get a chance to be on the bench and, you know, the role and responsibility now increases again. Um, and so just every year there was always something, you know, there's always something for me to overcome, uh, something for me to do and learn and see how I can basically blend my talents with that new staff. You know, that was the mm -hmm. biggest thing. It's like I didn't want to fit in necessarily as I wanted to show that I can add value in, you know, an area maybe that they weren't expecting. And so mm -hmm. I think if you can do that over and over again, you know, you'll have a chance to stick around a lot of places. And fortunately for me, just that, that 30 games that I gave Borrego when I was super green in the league, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. You know, he saw the passion and the work I was trying to put in for him. Uh, he hired me and I was able to, you know, reunite and reignite, you know, uh, you know, something new with him, with Kemba Walker, with Jeremy Lamb, who were in Charlotte. And uh, now I'm, going into my second year here with, with the Charlotte Hornets. And uh, it's just, it's exciting because every year it's, it's new possibilities, you know, new players that come in. And uh, one thing I've learned over the past is you might have the same players, but everybody's different that next year. You know, right. everybody's got a, a different mentality. Maybe it's a contract year. Maybe they, they just had a kid, you know, there's all kinds of things that, that makes people different, you know? And, and so you constantly have to see where people are in their lives and, and tune into, you know, what I can do for them. And uh, again, we keep talking about trying to improve and trying to give something different every year you come back. I, you know, we're going to backtrack a little bit on that story because I think there's so many, many lessons into it. So, I mean, you, you, you said it like you're in the NBA, you're losing money on the house right, yeah. that you sold. Your family's coming in December. You're trying to give to your family. You're trying to give to your players. You're trying to give to your head coach. If you don't mind, talk about what, was there mental strain? How did you calm yourself? I know you talk about being in the moment, but yeah. that's a lot in a high pressure job with, and mind you, everybody, you, Jay, you got three kids. Yes. Right. You got three kids. Yeah. One was already in college. I think at that time, yeah. and you have the other two ones who are leaving their friends, leaving everybody. Like, how does that, how was that in your heart and in your mind? It was, it was taxing. Yeah. It was, it was really, really hard. Um, you know, obviously to see my kids crying at night, you know, cause they missed home, um, you know, obviously not being around and not being there for them and being on the road and, and, and trying to obviously build my career. And, and my, my biggest thing I kept telling myself was like, they didn't do this for nothing. You know, mm -hmm. like, uh, you know, if they moved out here, I better be great at this and, and, and right. be successful at this because otherwise it would have been kind of for naught. And so that was my mindset. That's what kept me focused was like, Hey, we're in this, we're in this deep right now. Um, you know, probably the beginning is going to be the hardest and eventually people are going to find some friends. We're going to find some kind of normalcy behind this. But um, I don't think I did a great job early on, you know, in terms of uh, being super engaged, you know, with my family. You know, I was I was bringing my work home and, you know, I'd eat quick and then I'd have my computer out and I'd start working again. And, you know, I think that, you know, over the, over the last few years, um, you know, I think I've done a better job of, of trying to incorporate my family on the road. You know, we, we take at least one big trip a year together. Uh, sometimes mm -hmm. it's two, uh, make sure that my wife comes on some trips, you know, by herself and we enjoy some time together as a couple and, you know, we'll watch shows together, you know, while I'm on the road and, you know, it's a big, uh, this is us family. Uh, so we watch that <laughs> together and, uh, we cry and, you know, we, we, we enjoy it. So I, you know, there's a lot more of that. Just like I said, it's, it's wherever your, your time is, you have to just be present with that time. So I knew with my players, you know, they didn't want to hear the sob story every day of like, damn, I'm, I'm making no money. And you know, my family's right. upset. And, you know, <laughs> they, they've got things that they've got they're concerned with and they got big games they're, they're going to be a part of. So I, I just told myself like, Hey, like put, put each thing in their bucket and, and go at it a hundred percent. And then you can always worry when it's the time to worry or the time to be mad. And all those, all those emotions are there, but I, you know, I know that emotions don't last, you know, but the work does, you know, so you can be, 
angry, sad, excited. But, you know, I would say for, from a competition standpoint, the work is what lasts, you know, the discipline and what you do lasts and the emotions will subside, you know, whether they're positive or negative, you know, at some point in time and, you know, trying to maintain a, an even balance and even keel, you know, is a big thing. And, um, you know, I, with you and what you're doing with the energy and the positivity, I think that's a huge thing. I would say positive people are the toughest, you know, because it's very easy <laughs> to have a pity party. It's very easy yeah. to be down on yourself and doubt yourself. And, you know, for me, it's like, uh, you know, positive people are always looking at it saying, hey, there's going to be a way for me to get through this. And, you know, that's why I always say they're the toughest. Man, that's awesome. The resiliency and your story and your vulnerability, your openness, man. I, I can't thank you enough. I got one last question, man. Yeah. This is the piece de resistance. People love this question. Maybe you won't, but I think you will. When they make the Jay Hernandez full feature film on Netflix, Hulu, and all the great stations, who's playing Jay? Uh, Common. <laughs> <laughs> that would be easy, right? That, you know, same thing, like, you know, we'll, we'll figure it out. But, yeah, I, um, yeah, I like, I, like, uh, I like Justin Timberlake, too, because back in the day, I used to have curly oh. hair, you know? So the younger Jay might be him. He'd have to have a little brown, brown curly hair, you know, and right. have him hoop a little bit. I know he likes to play basketball. So, you know, I, I like either one of those guys will work for me. How about a Jay Hernandez musical where he's playing in your college uniform and he breaks into song, but much better than the, than the, the Disney movies that they do? Yeah, I mean, if, if you could pull that one off, I'd like to see it. You know? <laughs> I believe in you. Yeah, I know you could, you could pull that one off. So uh, you let me know when you're ready. Man, that's awesome. I appreciate you coming on. If you don't mind, tell people, you know, where to find you, um, where they could reach out to you. I mean, Jay has been a friend of mine for years and I love everything you do. I admire you so much, man, how you handle yourself and your family and your work ethic, man. It is something obviously that not even obviously it is something that I strive to because you're, you're really a huge inspiration. Where can they reach out to you? I appreciate that. And, and vice versa, my man, that's, uh, you know, again, what you're doing here and, and the, the form that you have right now, it's been awesome to see your progression over the years. So thank you for, for allowing me to be a part of this. Um, you know, I'm on Twitter at, at coach J A Y H at coach J H on Instagram at coach J Hernandez. And, uh, I want to shout out my wife cause she's doing the inspirational piece on at rep your work, yes. um, which is, uh, my favorite saying. And we're, we're obviously going to feature you on there and hopefully have you on an IG live talking to her about, you know, your pathway and some of the really cool things that you've done. But, um, you know, that's been, you know, something that for years I've said to my players is after we work out hard, you know, go represent all this hard work, go rep your work and apply it now, you know, have confidence to do what you, you've been training to do. So uh, she's finding people in all kinds of industries to, to you know, feature and, and tell their rep your work moments. So we appreciate you being a part of that. And, uh, you know, I look forward to uh, seeing more guests and anybody wants to reach out, they can, they can definitely find me on those social media platforms. Absolutely, man. And yeah, the rep your work. You, everyone's got to follow on Instagram. Rep your work. You got to follow Jay on Instagram and Twitter. He, I know you were doing some Instagram lives, right? It, it, during noon doing, or at night yeah, doing so some interviews and everything the lives, else. The lives I did for a, a month straight and they were phenomenal. They, they were exhausting. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, now that hopefully we're getting closer to the season, I've been doing a lot more film projects and stuff, but uh, they were great because I got to tap into a lot of uh, coaches in the NBA and learn their, their journey and their pathways, similar to what we talked about today. And uh, it's just amazing when you can hear about people and, and what they've been through. And it, it makes you realize that, you know, that all those hard, hardships that you're going through are going to make you a better leader, you know, and, and your story is going to be that much better to tell down the line. So it's really cool to just be able to interact with people that I respect and, um, you know, to be able to do that for a little bit during this pandemic was, was a good thing to be a part of. Oh, Jay, man, appreciate you, brother. Tell your yeah. family I said hello. Appreciate I appreciate it. you coming on, man. Thank you for having me. All the All best. Right. I'm telling you, I get hyped listening to Jay Hernandez. You know, don't be surprised if in a few years, Jay Hernandez is an NBA head coach. His leadership, the way he lives his life on and off the court, his family, his team, his players, his entrepreneurship really is a, a lesson that we could all take from over and over again. So reach out to Jay when you can. Guys, again, thanks so much for joining another great episode of the BCLE. Uh, Jay Hernandez was great. You've heard Erica Lambert uh, and Gerald Harrison on season three. Do me a favor. Please jump on. Go to iTunes. Rate us. Rank us. Give us a five. Give us a one. Whatever else it is, we want to hear from you. And don't forget, email us, h at hernandoplanels.com. 
visit the website, order your high-performing gratitude journal, get hyped about life, get energized. We are in the craziest time in the world, but guess what? We're humans. We have conquered. We have done amazing things. So let's just do it again. And next time, I can't wait to see you on the next episode of the Be Contagious Leadership Experience.